Hello, welcome to our uh, Wednesday night service here at Riverside Calvary Chapel. Um, I'm filling, I'm Pastor Rob, filling in for Pastor Brent as him and the team are out in uh, Calgary for the conference. Um, so we're going to continue on in our series going through the book of Genesis. I'm going to look tonight through our the whole chapter 40 and 41 of Genesis. Um, so the let's get right into it because there's a lot of stuff here. So the backstory, as we as we saw in chapter thirty nine, was that Joseph had been thrown in prison by his master, the captain of the guard, and Joseph had been in authority over his master's whole household. But he was wrongly convicted of trying to abuse his master's wife. As whereas we know that Joseph just simply refused her. She was an evil woman who despised Joseph's rejection because he was a righteous man, and that kind of sets up what we'll look at here tonight. That Joseph was. A righteous man, and even though he would go through many tragedies and trials, ultimately his righteousness that that he never abandoned would, would prevail, and the righteousness, as righteousness always does, prevail. So Joseph, he's a great picture of Jesus Christ for us. So let's read first, actually, straight through these two chapters, forty and forty-one, and then we'll look at some of the highlights. Chapter um, Genesis, chapter forty and chapter forty-one. I'm going to read straight through them. So it came to pass after these, after, uh, excuse me, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord and the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. In the prison, the place where Joseph was confined, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker and the king of Egypt were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream, and one night in each man's dream was its own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were very sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpret, interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to, to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded. Its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. And then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according in the, to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me make mention of me to pharaoh and get me out of this house for indeed i was stolen away from the land of the hebrews also i have done nothing here that they should put me into this dungeon and when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good he said to joseph i also was in a dream and there were three white baskets on my head in the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket in my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days the Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. 
Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Chapter 41. And then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows in the bank of the river. And the ugly and the gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamt a second time. Suddenly seven heads of grain came up out of one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. And then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretations of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office and he hanged him. And then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a, I've had a dream. There is no one who can interpret it, but I've heard and said, it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river, Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and the ugly cows ate up the first seven and the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as, as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up in one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh that he is what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one, and the seven thin and the ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty-headed blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, Seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. 
And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And then let him gather all the food of all those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be a reserve for the land of the seven years of famine, which will be in the land of Egypt, but the land may not, that the land may not perish during, during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to the servants, Can we find such a one as these, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all the people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee! So he set them over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without my consent no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Pane, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, and the daughter and his daughter and her daughter of the her, the daughter of Padi Pera, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up all the food in all the cities and he laid up in every city the food in the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came whom, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house, and the name of the second called Ephraim, for God has called me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the land, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all the lands. There we go. I know that seemed like a lot. <laughs> it was a lot of reading but really needed because it's uh, it's such a seamless story and it's easier to understand when we hear it from the beginning to the end. So in this story, we see so many characteristics of Jesus mirrored by Joseph. It's a great example for us. It's an inspiration to us as Christians to be a person of integrity and righteousness like Joseph and to trust even the worst circumstances that, that, that honesty 
and integrity and righteousness, trusting in God, is always the best road to take. Always. Without exception. And, and life is just one big, one big fat faith test, really. And it seems at times that a little dishonesty here or a little, a little undercutting there, maybe a little white lie here, maybe like a little small sin there. It seems like these can seem at times to be the, the way to further our, our interests or to get ahead in careers and relationships and, and different activities in life. But we learn from Joseph that this isn't true. It's part of those, those lies that the, that the enemy tells us. So a maturing Christian doesn't buy into these little temptations. These temptations that can seem to be the best route, but instead a maturing Christian says, no, God, God has this. So even though the, the righteous decision right now seems like maybe the most, uh, the most difficult decision, the most unsure route, I'm going to take this one. I'm trusting God in all things. And we remember that great proverb, Proverb 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So that's exactly how Joseph lived, especially in, in verse 6 there. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and he, and he will direct your paths. Joseph completely trusted God and acknowledged him in every situation, all, all the temptations, every decision he had to make. And look at the path that God laid out for him. Really similar to, to Daniel in the book of Daniel, how God took these underdogs, really, these these slaves, these prisoners, and he put them in positions of great power only because they trusted God fully. And they made righteous decisions and, and seemed like the, and those decisions sometimes seemed like the most risky decisions to make. And they represented God well. And it doesn't work that way in every situation in life that, that they're gonna, you're going to come into some great power and some great wealth because because God knows that he'll, that you'll use it well for his glory. But the point is that God can now use you the way that he plans on using you. The reward isn't whether you end up with great material success or not. The reward is to be used by God and to reap the security and the peace and the joy of being close to him. Period. So, this is opposite to the prosperity teaching that, that we see in the world out there that, that says that God will bless you with material successes. Because that, I'm sorry to say, is a lie. You can be the, the poorest man materially on the earth and be the richest man in reality because of your relationship with God. So remember when Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, while he was on this earth, said in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, he says, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus only relied on his Father daily for sustenance. So I'm sure that Joseph didn't expect or maybe even desire to end up in the position of power and might that he ended up in. All he desired was to trust God and to serve him well. I'm going to 
there's a little list here of characteristics uh, that David Guzik put together that illustrate how much Joseph pictured Jesus. Let me just read a few of them to you. I gotta, there's a bunch of them here, but this is true for both of them. Was a shepherd. They were both shepherds. Loved by his father. Hated by his brothers. Prophesied by his, his coming glory. Rejected by his brothers. And endured punishment by his brothers. They were both sentenced to the pit and, and delivered to the pit. But through a leader, even though the leaders knew that they should be set free. They were both regarded as dead but raised out of the pit. They both went to Egypt. They both were tempted severely but did not sin. And they both were falsely accused. They both endured unjust punishment from Gentiles. And they were both associated with two criminals and, and one was pardoned and one was not pardoned. They were both brought a message of deliverance out of prison. They both wanted to be remembered. They were both were shown, both of them, to have divine wisdom, and they were both recognized to have the Spirit of God in them. They were both betrayed by their friends. They were both given a Gentile bride. They both were 30 years old when they began their life's work. And they both blessed the world with bread. They both became the only source of bread for the world, and the world was instructed for both of them to go to them to, and do whatever they say. So I'll leave that, uh, I wish I had it printed out for everyone who's listening right now, but just think through that list and, and I'll leave it there. But let's look at a few of these characteristics on this list that, that jump out and how Joseph and his life circumstances picture so beautifully the life of Jesus. So first, to help us with what happened in, um, in chapter 40 and 41, which I read, it took a little while there, let's see how Joseph got to where he is and how it's so similar to the experiences of Jesus. So both of them were rejected by their brothers and they endured unjust punishment from their brothers, both of them. This is seen in the, in the previous chapters before chapter 40 and 41. But like I said, it helps us to see how Joseph got to where he was and, and how what was meant for evil, God used for good. So Joseph was completely rejected and unjustly punished by his brothers, which ultimately sentenced, sentenced him to slavery in Egypt. And we also know that from Scripture that Jesus not only was rejected or not believed by his own brothers of his own family, but also by his Jewish brothers, his national family. And in Mark chapter 6, it says that Jesus came into his own country and started preaching and healing them. But then in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not these his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. And his own nation rejected him too. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it says, He was in the world, but the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So I don't know if, if any of you have experienced this, but... I know that I have. Sometimes your own family and your own friends from the past are the last people to accept your faith and to accept the, the new life that you have. And, and it can be really difficult to experience this. But I've always taken comfort in knowing that my, my family really is here. 
with the body of Christ. My my family is is with the Lord. And don't get me wrong, I I love my natural family, my mother, my father, my brothers and sisters in the flesh, but when it comes to spiritual matters like this, we just aren't we're not like-minded. I love my natural family, but uh, all I can do is continue to share Jesus with them and pray for them, which I do every day. So then it was in doing the right thing that led Joseph, Joseph to prison. In doing the right thing, in being a righteous man, led him to prison. And also Jesus, he was without sin, which ultimately got him in trouble with the religious leaders. It was both the pride of Joseph's master's wife and the pride of the religious leaders in Jesus' day that got them convicted. And they were both, Joseph and Jesus, they were both tempted severely but did not sin. Joseph rejected the advances of his master's wife. And we know that Jesus was without sin. Even the religious leaders of the day knew that he was without sin. In Mark chapter 14, verse 55, it says, now the chief priests and the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found nothing. So you can always tell when, when someone has to work really hard to find a fault in someone that there's another agenda taking place. But our, our place sometimes as believers is to sometimes not take all of that energy to defend ourselves, but to just... Make sure that we are innocent and pure before God, because that is the important thing. Although at, at times I may be inside, I may be just screaming to defend myself, depending on the situation. Sometimes God just wants me to leave it. Leave it the way it is. Leave it, leave it to Him. Because sometimes a certain situation will never resolve this side of eternity. But I can always pray. I can always bring it before the Lord. With prayers like Psalm 41, Psalm 43, actually, verse 1 says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. How many times have you wanted to pray that? But anyways, being an innocent, being both of them innocent men, Joseph and Jesus were convicted. And here in chapter 40 and 41, which I read, the part of the story that I read, we get a little more into some of the, the common characteristics of Joseph and Jesus. Both of them were shown to have divine wisdom, were believed by people to have divine wisdom, and both were recognized as having the Spirit of God. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom. This is when he was like 12 years old. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So you remember when Jesus was 12 there, his family went to Jerusalem, to the Passover feast. And he stayed there behind to speak and, and to hear from people in the temple. And his parents were worried about him when they found out that he was missing. But he really wasn't missing. He was just going about his father's business. And so even at that age, all the people who heard him were amazed. Because in Luke chapter 2, verse 47, it says, And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. At 12 years old. And then when Jesus was, was older, in his 30s, and had begun his ministry, remember when Nicodemus, the Pharisee, came to him? In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one 
can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So many people obviously knew that Jesus was from God and that he had the Spirit of God in him. But also, from our story here tonight that we read, many people had a similar sense about Joseph, that he was hearing directly from God, especially Pharaoh, the Pharaoh. He knew this in what we just read in, in Genesis chapter 41, verses 38 and 40. says this, And the Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over all my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So this kind of wisdom that Joseph had comes from God. It's not mustered up in ourselves. And it's clearly evident to the people around. They can, they can sense it. When someone's thinking things through from a godly perspective, it's noticeable. You can, you can hear it. You can hear the wisdom. It's a, it's a completely different kind of wisdom than, than the world. Because it, it isn't a wisdom that is selfish, thinking only about one's own interest. It's a truthful wisdom that's simply telling the truth and not afraid of the truth and, and whatever the truth brings. So Joseph wasn't looking out for his own interests. I'm sure that he desired to get out of prison, but that I don't believe that was his, his main motive for discerning the Pharaoh's dreams. I'm sure that he didn't expect the outcome, though, that he would become second in command. It's godly wisdom. Godly wisdom, James talks about it. In James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, he explains to us what God's godly wisdom is. It says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So the word of God says that an envious, self-seeking wisdom is evil, earthly, devilish. But someone who trusts God and uses God, God-given wisdom for pure, peaceable purposes is from God. And God, if he chooses to, can and will use that person, excuse me, as he did with Joseph. A couple more um, illustrations that, that uh, picture Joseph to Jesus. They both became the only source of bread for the world. And the world was instructed for each of them to go to them and do whatever they said to do. So scripture is clear. Jesus and Jesus is clear. He says he is the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verses 25 to 27, it says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So they were, 
They were asking Jesus for bread, but for the wrong reasons. So he corrected them. In John chapter 6, verse 33 to 35, it says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So coming to Jesus for bread, for life, is coming to him for your very sustenance and for your very life and for eternal life. That, that he is the only one who can give you this life. But in the same sense, here on earth in our story, Joseph was the only one who had bread to keep these people alive in this life, on this world. We read in, in Genesis chapter 41, verses 55 through 57, it says, So when all the land of the Egypt was famished and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, then the Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. So the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. So Joseph is a great picture of Jesus being the only way, the only way to life. Even through Joseph, even though he was sustaining their, their earthly life, but Jesus goes way beyond and offers eternal life. And both of these, Joseph and, and Jesus, also too, were associated with two criminals. And one of them was pardoned, and one of them was not. We know that Jesus was sentenced to death alongside two criminals. Jesus was innocent, obviously, in the, in the middle of the two, but these two men were guilty of their crimes. In Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 33, it says, there were also two other, two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. And then in verse in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him and saying, Do you not fear even God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the, the, the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a great picture of this Joseph is for us. We saw that Joseph was in, in prison with two men who also were in, in the master's household. And they both also were condemned. And they both were guilty of crimes. But like Jesus, Joseph was, he was completely innocent. So in Genesis chapter 40, verses 2 and 3, it says, And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. So just like the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus, Joseph was with these two criminals. But when asked to discern their dreams, Joseph says one of them would be found guilty and die, and the other would be made free and have life. Of the two criminals crucified with Jesus, one of them mocked and yelled at Jesus, and he died guilty of his sins. 
so he was condemned to eternal death. But the other confessed his sin to Jesus and proclaimed Jesus as king and asked him to not forget him. And as a result, that man found life, eternal life. He was set free, not in this world, but in, but in paradise. And we know, I mean, as Christians, that, that it's the truth, it's the same thing for us. Confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and he forgives us and sets us free, and we have eternal life. It's that simple. But Joseph and Jesus looked like they were defeated, and, and the ending result for both of them didn't look good. But when relying completely on God, the Father, for our life, our circumstances, the same can turn out for all of us, for everyone, for every man, woman, and child in this world. It can turn out the same way that it turned out for, for Jesus and Joseph, to be free. Because both of these men, Joseph and, and Jesus, were sentenced to the pit. And both of them regarded as dead, but raised out of the pit. We read when Mary Magdalene went to the, visit the tomb in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 5 and 6. It says, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? So through his complete obedience to the Father, Jesus' complete obedience to the Father, to see the plan right through to the end, Jesus found glorious victory. Eternal victory. Even though it, it was the most difficult path to victory that any, any man had ever taken. Though he was God, it was his human nature and his flesh that he defeated through absolute surrender to God his Father. He had to be human also. He had to be human to be, to be an appropriate sacrifice, an appropriate savior for us, to be like us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And Hebrews chapter 5 verses 7 through 9 says, Speaking of Jesus, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications and vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So Jesus was divine, but his human nature had to go through that process of temptation, faithfulness, resistance, the pain that comes through it to be a perfect man, to be a perfect sacrifice. He went through the same things that we do every day, and more so. And through it all, he was completely obedient to his father. And we saw the suffering of Joseph, of course not to the degree and the suffering of, of, that Jesus endured, but still he suffered a great deal. And as a result of his complete allegiance to God, it was more important for him to stay connected with God, to be obedient to his convictions, to be a righteous man, to be faithful, than it was for him to protect himself. Than it was for him to partake of some short-lived gratification for sin. Because he knew the end game. And we saw in Genesis chapter 40, verse 3, 
that Joseph was confined in the prison and no one would have expected him to ever get out. There was no reason to let a Jewish slave out for any reason. And no one was thinking about him. But it was his wisdom given by God and his gifts given by God that drew someone's attention. And in reality, it was the goodness, the love, and the mercy of God. And like Jesus, Joseph, though condemned, was delivered from the pit, brought into glory. Both of them simply surrendered to the Father. That was the biggest ingredient. Simply surrendered to the Father and trusted in him completely, even in the toughest circumstances or when confronted by by temptations or in situations that just didn't make any sense. I'm going to stay faithful to my Lord, my Father. And I think that that's the big lesson for all of us through Joseph. It all comes down to faith. Do I truly believe that faithfulness to God is worth it? Do I truly believe that? Do I truly believe that faithfulness to God is worth it? That resisting sin is worth it? That a holy life seeking righteousness is worth it? Do I, do I really believe that? That failing or falling for even the the smallest temptations in life, it just aren't worth it. It's just not worth it. The little white lies that that might, I seem, I, I think at the time, might help me avoid a conflict or make me look better. Is that worth it? The small little sins that, that to me are small, that, that might feel good for a moment, so I'll just put my, my blinders on and God will forgive me for this little thing? Is that worth it? Am I listening? Am I listening to the wisdom of the enemy there and avoiding the wisdom of the true and the living God? Remember what James said that I read earlier? That the wisdom of God is pure. It's, it's willing to yield. It's gentle. It's, it's peaceful. It's merciful. And that takes complete trust. Do I really, really trust that God sees all of this? And that all things happen for the good of those that love the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So like everything in God's word, it always comes down to the question of faith. Do I truly believe God has in the palm of his hand and the best things for me? Do, 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 do I believe that he has me in the palm of his hand and he has the best things for me? Is, do I believe that it, like the best thing is to always follow him in holiness, no matter what happens to me? I know I keep saying that over and over again, but it's that simple. Do I really believe that? That, that, comprom- that, that whole thing that compromising never wins. It may look like it for a moment, But with everything from the enemy, compromise, it eventually comes crashing down and it always ends in destruction. Always. Sadly to say, I can can say that from experience earlier on in my life. Joseph and the course of, of, and of course, the course of Jesus and the path that they took of complete faith, both of them, and though it was wasn't an easy path at times for them, it ended in glory. And I have to ask myself in all situations in life, am I willing to take that path of complete faith and trust no matter what? 
And I pray that we all take that path of complete trust in the Lord and don't listen to the fleeting lies of the enemy because the Lord promises us that that is the blessed life. Even in the most difficult times when you just can't see the end from the beginning, staying faithful to God and just following Him in obedience and in righteousness and in honesty is always, in every situation, the best path to take. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your word here tonight. Thank you for the great example that you give us through the life of Joseph, Lord. Just his faithfulness, his relentless faithfulness to God. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in every one of our hearts, that your word here would be like a seed planted in our heart and grow and, and change us, Lord, into the image of Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful servants, not just for that, but that that's enough in itself, just to be faithful to our Lord who died on the cross for us, Lord. But because it is the blessed life, help us to experience that, Lord. We ask all this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.